You said I pushed this for record, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Are you eating something? Okay. Maybe. <laughs> so I, I could just I, hear like this crinkling noise in the background. And I was like, what the heck is going on? All right, but don't worry. All the now, stuff now that all... the test, so now that the test that shall not be named is over, <laughs> I can sleep in sometimes when I want to. Is that uh, is that is that word taboo now? Um, no, that was my way into our first topic. So. Listeners, welcome to episode 21 of Pop Culture Verdict. We are a little goofy today, but we're really happy to have you all listening. And we're excited to begin. We have a couple of quick takes for you. Anything on your mind this morning before we get into it, Alan? Um, other than just continuing concern for American democracy, no, I'm just kind of hanging out. Um, I've so while I... While I was studying for the test that shall not be named, I did not follow any politics or any political coverage whatsoever. So I have yet to watch any of the speeches. I watched John Stewart's coverage and a couple of other comedian things, but that's about mm-hmm. it. And now that the test is over, I kind of don't want to go back to paying attention to it. Don't, just don't. Like pick it, pick it up in like in, at the end of September when the first debate happens. But for now, just leave it. Because it's it's it is a dumpster fire, and I'm just so it's like NASCAR when everyone like when there's a wreck, I feel bad that the car crash is happening. I hope the drivers are okay, but it's just entrancing in this weird way where I can't take my 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 face away from it. And so every morning I wake up and I watch Morning Joe to figure out what's going on. And then occasionally, you go to the live taping of oh, of Morning Joe. I really yeah. wanted to, but then I had better things to do. So, oh, okay. I don't remember, I don't remember been... what it was, but I remember that at one point I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to go. Then it was like, mm, soft pass. Have you ever been to a live taping of a television show? Um, I don't think, I don't think so. No. I've been like, I got... I've been, I've been on the radio at one point. So when That's I was, cool. um, when I was in pre when I was in pre K, a girl that went to my school, her dad was the host of like a very popular nationally syndicated morning show. And she like brought our class to like take a tour of her dad's place of work. And like they like mentioned we were on, like, oh, you know, we have the kids from my daughter's, you know, class here and we all like got to say hi and whatever. It was pretty cool. So you don't live in New York anymore, but a lot of television shows tape here. I got tickets to see a live recording, uh, a live taping, whatever you want to call it, because it technically mm-hmm. airs a, a couple hours later of last week tonight with John Oliver, and that was oh, great. Cool. But I've also heard that that's kind of the gold standard in terms of how they run the process of getting in and watching the taping, and that everything else you go to is hours and hours of waiting for very little content. So as much mm-hmm. as I'd love to see another thing done live or live to take, whatever you want to call it, like see them in person, I don't know that yeah. I have the patience to sit through it for a half hour of comedy. No, that definitely makes sense. Um, I was so back where I used to live in, in, in Harlem, like on 128, uh, there was, so the, the new Annie film 
filmed like literally a hundred feet from my front door. And then a couple times longer their SVU was shooting in the area. It's like I saw him risk a hard to take once. Um, I saw Jamie Foxx. I, gl- I didn't really, I didn't see him see him, but I glimpsed him, um, when they were filming, uh, up by where I lived. But, you know, in New York, you kind of stumble across stuff. When I was at, I went to Chick-fil-A, uh, I think the day before I left New York for good. Praise Jesus. I'm gone for good. Um, there was, there was something that going was on. That was me. Like, New York is the best. <laughs> where they had blocked off part of the street and um, they were filming something and I couldn't figure out what for it. It was just like a trailer hauling a police car and it was kind of driving up the street and like rewinding and driving up the street again. It was weird. But um, yeah, but other, you know, I don't need to talk about New York anymore. New York's in the rear view mirror. I'm moving on to bigger, better things. Well, smaller, nicer, just really- less smelly things. Okay. Two things. One, I've seen tons of things filmed because lots of things film up by Columbia and a lot of things film on the Upper West Side. And if you go to a telephone pole or a tree or something around the area, there are usually they have to have their permits up and it has to say what's filming, which is one of the reason a lot of projects stay unnamed for a while because they don't want to have to announce to people what the name of the project is so people are aware of who might be in the area. So a lot of it's like unnamed future projects. But I saw just the other, I saw Trainwreck filming like two summers ago. Actually, no, that was like three summers ago. That was my 1L summer. Uh, but last week I saw Mozart in the Jungle taping in the village. So that was funny. Yeah. But number two, okay, can we just discuss, you're going to the land of politics and corruption and crazy people more so than New York. So don't say that you're, you know, <laughs> above it all. Well, I mean, when you, when you average it out, New Jersey's just next door and like their, their corruption per capita has got to be through the roof. So they, they bring up the regional average for sure. Everything is legal in New Jersey. <laughs> And, and that, just so for all the listeners, that is, that marks probably 21 consecutive podcasts where Hamilton's come up at some point. <laughs> Today is the one year anniversary from the first time I saw Hamilton. I, I found that in my time hop today. From the first time you saw Hamilton. All right. We're just going to leave, yeah. we're going to leave that one alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Into quick takes, Alan. Uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Is it cursed or just cursed? Is it cursed or if you're cursed? British, I, if you're British, it's probably cursed, isn't it? I don't know, but I, I have not yet purchased it. So, like, here's the thing. So, I got the little preview because if you're if you're like the Apple Books thing, you get like a little preview. I read, I attempted to read the preview. The thing is, it's not a book. It is a a. Were you not aware print. of that? Well, I knew I knew it wasn't going to be a book book. I knew they basically just like printed out the script and had it book bound. But I didn't I didn't realize I didn't think about how difficult it was going to be to read. And I just don't I didn't like it. I read two pages of it and was like, I'm not about to sit down and like read a script. Um, and so instead, I just like looked up the Wikipedia page and read what happened and was pretty thoroughly delighted by it. So. So I need to read it. I I was just telling this to my brother the other day that there was a time before Netflix, so you couldn't catch up on your shows by just binging all of them. Uh, But there were websites that had the teleplays, the scripts. 
for a lot of television shows. And I remember reading a couple of Will and Grace scripts because, and a couple of other TV shows too, because I wanted to figure out what I had missed in episodes. And I've also done theater before, so I am somewhat used to reading scripts. I have not read it yet because I've heard that it's not as engrossing to read it as, as the, the reviews of the book of itself are not great, but the mm-hmm. reviews of the play are wonderful. So I'm kind of wondering if I'm just going to be willing to wait for however long it takes for it to come to Broadway or me to both mm-hmm. get to London and get tickets to see it staged rather than read it. So, so two things. Like, I, I definitely it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't simply that it was a script that kind of threw me off because like I did musical theater basically until I got into college. Like I did plays, whatever, whatever. I write screenplays in my free time. Um, it was just like, that's not what I want from a Harry Potter book-ish looking thing. And so I think it was just like more like dissatisfaction with the medium with which I was getting new Harry Potter stuff. But also, for I spent an hour kind of like looking up flights a couple days ago and like trying to figure out like, I basically was like almost, I almost pulled the trigger on a flight to London, basically just to watch Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Uh, I, I might have only seen part one, but I was looking at some part one and part two. Like on, on some days they showed both parts back to back. Oh, interesting. And on, and on some days they only, so like it's basically, it's two plays. It's like two, like two hour plays. Um, yeah. And so like, you know, some days they only do one, some days they do both, some days, you know, so like I think on the weekends they do part one and two both days. Um, during the week, yeah. like you know, Monday and Tuesday are part one, and Wednesday and Thursday are part two, or something like that. Um, but I thought about there are tickets. Like, there are tickets, tickets on are, StubHub right now for like four hundred pounds to see yeah, no, both of them on Sunday, August seventh. That's yeah, like no, super tempting. Not that I'm gonna buy a yeah, flight to London. Yeah, it's incredibly reasonable. Well, the thing was, it's like. I, the first thing I did was I went to I went to every air, major airline trying to see if there were flight deals to London, and they just didn't happen to have any at a price I was comfortable with. So I was like, well, yeah. I nearly pulled the trigger on it, but I think it's the sad thing is, you know, it's going to play in London for probably forever. It might be end up being the Lion King of whatever the London Theater Street is. Um, it's it's probably not. Gonna it's called the West End. For, it's called the West so I, End. You know what? I was going to say the West End, but I'm like, let me not sound ignorant on the podcast and say something totally wrong. And then, what do you know? It actually is the West End. Um, but it's probably not going to be on Broadway for at least a couple of years. I'd say, like, the, the soonest it would come to Broadway would be, like, 2019. Does that sound fair? I, I hope it's sooner than that. British shows tend to make it here a lot faster than that. Mm-hmm. So... I, usually within the same year for staged plays. Clearly, this is a different story. I'll have to look up how long it took Billy Elliot to make it from London to here. I feel like that was quite a bit longer, and that might be a little bit more accurate. Also, that was as much as that was liked here, it was not as beloved in New York as it was in London. And I've seen it twice in London and never in the States, and I'm obsessed mm-hmm. with it, but I know a lot of people who saw it here and never liked it. Okay. So, so, so the original London production of Billy Elliot uh, was sometime in 2005, um, and okay. didn't close until 2016. And then the U.S. production, where is, the original Broadway production was 2008. So there was a okay. three-year, three-year thing. So yeah, yeah. 2019 so is probably 
So my, my spitball long guess, time to I, wait. I, I stumbled backwards into something that might be actually correct, which is what happens usually when I'm correct. <laughs> well, that, that reminds me of what I'm hoping happened on that little test. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next up, we want to give an update, although you just did some math that I don't entirely agree with. But we're going we're gonna to talk about it in a second. We wanted to give a pre-Suicide Squad opening on Thursday. By the way, do you have tickets yet? Um, I don't have tickets yet, but it's only because the theaters nearby don't do reserved seating. So I don't, well, don't see the point in buying a ticket so early. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't have, it's, it's 2016. If you don't have reserved seating, like, you know, do better. Just do better. So I have reserved seats for 6 p.m. on Thursday, so I'm very excited for that. But Suicide mm-hmm. Squad is getting not-so-great reviews. So for those of you who maybe don't remember or haven't listened before, Alan and I have a summer movie challenge where we bet each other. We, we drafted teams of movies. We each have four movies. We did this before there were any early reviews or anything like that, and we were tried to guess whose movies would have a better overall uh, top critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. Alan's team is Finding Dory, the BFG, Jason Bourne, and Kubo, and Kubo and the Two Strings. Wait, My going team, into this, going into this competition, that would have been, that was a very reasonable team for me to pick. Like, it was, it was, an, it was an imminently reasonable, I think, pretty safe bet. But we can, we can discuss this more later. Please continue. Yeah. I took a slightly different strategy and kind of went all over the place, which sort of paid off. May this one movie might really, really kill me um, because overall my picks were pretty solid. This one was a really bad pick, apparently. So my yeah, team was like, the Nice Guys, which got great reviews but did not do so well box office wise. So it's a good thing we weren't betting on box office. Captain America: Civil War, which both got incredible reviews and cleaned up in the box office. Suicide Squad, which we'll talk about momentarily, and Sausage Party, which I still have faith can get me through this. Yeah, I mean, so so your team was was pretty like you 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 came out of the gate real hot, like nice guys eighty five, Captain America Civil War eighty nine. I opened Finding Dory ninety, was feeling myself a little bit, and then I've just got I, I took a couple hits to the jaw recently. The BFG at sixty seven and Jason Bourne at fifty two. Um, Jason Bourne might have changed. It's only been out for a week, so maybe we're doing two. We're waiting two weeks before we actually officially include them, so it might go up, might go down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you, your stuff. You have one stinker currently, whereas I picked one good one and two like supremely average ones. So it's it's looking rough for me right now. Well, yeah, I think the other issue that I'm having is one of the things that I was betting on with Suicide Squad was that mm-hmm. if it was just better than what had come before it in the DC extended universe, the DCEU, their like equivalent to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that it mm-hmm. would get an overall positive Rotten Tomatoes score because yeah. people were just so happy it wasn't as bad as Batman versus <laughs> Superman. Yeah. And apparently, so a lot of the early reviews are saying it is at least better than that. And mm-hmm. I'm also reading some of the top lines. A lot of the reviews seem to be like, it's just kind of middling, but mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes only gives you like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. 
So unfortunately, a lot of those are, it's not working out as well in my favor. Like the A.O. Scott review is, it seems perfectly middling, but they said that it was a thumbs down review. So. Yeah, I mean, that's we'll one of the, see what happens. I think we, I think like we, either we might have discussed this or I've heard someone else discuss it, but the way that Rotten Tomatoes does things might be a little, it might make things a little tougher on movies to have positive scores because it's just like someone going through the review and saying, was this mostly positive or mostly negative? And it's kind of like a third party making that determination. And there's not yeah. a lot of space. There, there's literally no space for nuance. It's just like either it was or was not. Whereas, you know, things like Metacritic that give scores based, like they like give percentage scores based on how favorable the review was. And they, you know, they score it out of 10 or something like that. Give yeah. more leeway to actually account for the nuance in a critic's argument about a movie. Yeah. I'm I'm what? still excited to see it. I also think that you're using – there is no real top critic score yet. So, overall, the math has you coming out at, like, 2% higher than me right now, and I don't actually believe that. So, we'll – because I just don't understand how that's possible. But whatever. We'll see where right, this so thing goes. We're not going to announce everyone, the math, math yet because it's not real. Melody, Melanie is a Rotten Tomatoes, you know, conspiracy theorist. She's she's a she's a Grand Tomatoes truther. No, I'm just an Alan should wait <laughs> on doing math until it's been the time period we've said it was. Truther. Well, I just wanted to give like I just wanted to give kind of a like a, a little a little uh, tentative kind of assessment of where we were and the fact that it has me winning by two and a third percentage points is you know that's neither here nor there. Uh huh. Well. Okay, so we're going to move on to the next thing. Just so you guys know where we're – I'm going to give everyone sort of a roadmap. We're go, we've got a couple more things to talk about, and later this week we're actually going to release a, a whole segment on Comic-Con trailers. We're not going to have trailer time talk. for it. Yeah, we're going to do another one of our trailer talks just because there is no way we get to it in this podcast, but we don't want to leave our loyal listeners without our takes on everything Comic-Con. And I actually have a friend who was at Comic-Con, and I'm hopefully going to get her – to record a little bit of a segment with us on what Yay. it's like to be on the ground and not in Hall H, which is the big fun hall. So stay tuned this week, and hopefully you'll hear that from us. Okay, so our next sort of – I want to do a very quick take on the Gilmore Girls trailer. Have you seen it? I haven't, I, I haven't seen it. I'll tell you what. There, there are a few things that, that, that get my attention less than the, than the words <laughs> – Gilmore Girls. So, so this is all you. I'm I'm happy to listen though. Well, basically, just be happy about that right now because <coughs> I just I'm so nervous about this. The Gilmore, the show Gilmore Girls has such a strong place in my heart from my childhood, and this trailer, which is not really a trailer, it's a single scene of them sitting around their coffee table or dining room table or whatever talking. And it's just, it's painful to watch. It's literally painful to watch. And that might be a little harsh for some people out there, but just watch that and tell me that there's, it's not just like, you don't think that they're bad actresses or there's something wrong with it. It's just, it's really bad. Okay. So moving on, Alan sent me this amazing text message the other day, which brought up our next sort of mini conversation, which will act as a bridge into our last conversation for today. Do you want to explain what this clip was, Alan, that you sent me the video of? <clears throat> okay. So let me preface this by saying I 
I might have said this to you at one point. I have been on Reddit this now three times in my entire life. I don't know what struck me, but I was bored, had nothing to do, so I just I'm on my phone. I just type in Reddit.com. The very top thing, um, I forgot what what it says, but it's like something Leonardo it had Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill. So I was like, I'll click on that. And what it is is it's this video of Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, wearing like you know plain blue T-shirt that one of those stupid like old guy on the golf course hats that he always has on. Sunglasses, He's cargo such like a weird short. person now. And he's just like, he, he has his phone out and he's like sprinting up to someone and the camera turns. He's like running up to Jonah Hill who thinks he's just some like random weirdo coming up to him with it, like literally sprinting at him with a phone. And then there's like this moment where Jonah Hill finally recognizes Leonardo DiCaprio and his face goes from, like, sheer terror. He's, like, mid-pulling his collar up to block his face. Then he realized who it is, and, like, he just, like, kind of bursts into laughter. I thought it was, like, really funny. And, like, they starred in, I think they've been in one, maybe two movies together. But, like, they definitely were in... Um, Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street together. Like, you know, they whenever they did interviews about it, they talked very highly about the experience of working with one another. And so I think, like, it's fair to say that they're, like, at least like, friendly, if not, you know, buddies. Um, so it was kind this of like video makes it look of, like they're best friends. Yeah, it was, like, a cool little, like, real moment between, like, people that don't get to have a ton of those, especially in public. And they didn't get to have this one either because it was, it was recorded by a third party. Um, but it was, like, really interesting, and I thought it was really funny. I I don't know why. There are certain celebrities as real people moments that I just adore, and there's a real love for, for lack of a better word, in this that I just really that I appreciated, and I, it's just it's so much fun to watch. I don't know why, but like I've watched it like three times now. This like short little clip, and I'm just like, they look like they love each other so much, and they're best friends, yeah. and it makes me. In everything leading up to the Oscars last year, I kind of got annoyed at Leonardo DiCaprio. Also, one of the few movies I've not seen from last year's Oscar race is The Revenant because it just looks like a pain to sit through, and I do not feel like subjecting myself to that. But this makes me like him again. Well, I think that, like, one of the things that it's easy to forget is just, like, you know, we – when our interactions with – you know, celebrities of any sort are ma- are mainly through the the thing they produce. So, you know, um, you know, Selena Gomez's next album or Leonardo DiCaprio's next movie or so and so's next you know reality television show, and it it becomes very easy to view them as like a almost like a like an object to be commodified rather than, like, remembering that, like, you know, these are real people, like, real lives, and, like, they have real friends, and, like, I don't, it's not, I think it was it was interesting to see because it was a reminder that, like, all these people are still human beings. Um, but it's, just like, it's, like, nice seeing them being able to, it's nice seeing celebrities usually have to be very worried about everything that's going on, like, their perception, their image, whatever, whatever, just, like, be normal human beings for, like, 10 seconds, um, which is, I think, that's pretty cool. But also yeah. I'm thinking about there's so many celebrities who are just, like, really well-known for being just super great people. Because, like, I mean, I, I think that it's nice when celebrities are able to be normal people. 
But I also think it's nice when celebrities are able to, or not just able to, but like, but seem to enjoy leveraging their celebrity to benefit other people. To me, like, there's a sense, like, you know, almost every celebrity has a foundation of some sort, and I've always felt like those are mostly for tax purposes. Like, it's good to have whatever, whatever, for whatever tax, like, kind of like if you, you know, buy another house, it's good for tax purposes. Um, but then there's, like, celebrities out there who, I mean, there's, like, the super notable ones. The one that I always hear about is Keanu Reeves, who is, so, and you know the story about Keanu Reeves? Nope. So basically, at a certain point, basically everyone in his life died. Wow. Like one of his really, one of his really good friends, Ray Phoenix, died. I think like both his parents died. He had a sibling die or something like that. But I don't remember exactly, but like he was he was surrounded by a lot of death for a period of time, and he you know he was also becoming like a celebrity at the same time. But what the things he's done with his money? So like you know he was he made. In, 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 in absurd amount of money from the Matrix trilogy, just like it was. Imagine Robert Downey Jr.'s deal on steroids, and that's the kind of money he was he was pulling in from the Matrix. I think he made something like a hundred million off of one of the movies or something like that, something ridiculous. Um, and one of the stories. No one makes as is, much money as Robert Downey Jr. does from Marvel. No. And what, a story that keeps coming up is that like he was so appreciative, like. Of, of the effort put in by the people he was working with that he gave, literally gave away a lot of that money to the crew who was working on the movies, people that were doing, you know, the, the digital effects, people that were helping with the stunts, bought, bought bikes for the entire stunt crew. He's just like a very appreciative guy. I think one of the quotes, I'm not, I'm not going to the exact quote, but at some point he said something along the lines of, um, he didn't really do, he didn't really act for the money. Like he, he got a lot of money from acting, but he didn't need it, so he was going to use it in other ways. Which I thought was like a really, really cool thing. Um, do, is there any like celebrity that you kind of particularly enjoy their kind of the way they live their life? I don't know. I mean, we talked about this last week when we, or two weeks ago at this point, when we were talking about the celebrities who live their lives as performance art. So, for example. There's, you know, the Taylor Swift and Kanye West feud and, like, how I fascinating I find that lately. Then there are celebrities like Tom Hanks, who I just think, or Ron Howard, both of whom I think just seem like the most genuinely wonderful human beings that I legitimately want to be friends with. There's, mm-hmm. Then there are, like, a lot of comedians that I like following on Instagram and things like that. But I think what you're getting at, which is a perfect segment segue into our last segment of the day is that I follow uh, Chris Pratt on Instagram and a couple of weeks ago he posted this video and I think we should splice the audio in here because it's just it's worth listening to of him at and his son at the breakfast table that is the cutest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. He, he it, The caption under it says something like dadding or something like that. And mm-hmm. like Chris Pratt attempts to dad and he made a pancake for his son, Jack, who was so adorable and wears these little kid glasses that I love. Mm-hmm. And it's just the two of them talking and him trying to convince his son, Jack, that the pancake he made looks like Donald Duck and his son not buying it. And I just... 
I love it. I'm obsessed with it. And I want to see more from Chris Pratt and Anna Ferris and their adorable family. Chris Pratt is also really well known for like constantly going to hospitals in co- in various costumes to like support kids and bringing them toys and stuff like that. He's another celebrity that I think like really gets what he should be doing with with his celebrity. Um, and it's so, like I think he's a guy I really appreciate. That doesn't move him up my list, but okay. I do really appreciate his effort. So this brings us into our last segment of the day. And this is, I think this is going to become a continuing thing, but we're going to introduce it here. So we'll spend an extra minute talking about it today, which is there is a whole world of celebrity Chris's out there. And we think we need to adjudicate their status every once in a while, because there are a lot of them. They look somewhat similar. Somewhat? And Okay, they look very I, similar. There, they, there was more. They're all like the was, same kind of celebrity. They're there was white, more phenotypical diversity. Blonde. There was more phenotypical diversity in the Bachelor final, Bachelorette final four <laughs> than there is amongst these these Chris's. And they all are the same like level of celebrity in a sense too. Like it, it goes up and down a little bit, but they're all. Each of them spearheads a major franchise. Each of them yep. is a is a superhero or a superhero equivalent. Uh, it's just it's it's very strange. So, starting from the bottom, we're going to start from the bottom, moving up to the top. Who is at your the bottom of your list? Uh, the bottom of my list, and it's it it kind of goes back and forth depending on the day. My number four is Chris Pine. Um. If you don't know who Chris Pine is, he is currently Captain Kirk. He's also been Jack Ryan. Well, they attempted to make him Jack Ryan, and almost literally no one went to go see the movie. Um, let's see. He was in This Means War with Tom Hardy, another awful, awful, awful movie. He was very funny in Horrible Bosses. I'll give him that. But other than Horrible Bosses and this most recent Star Trek movie, I have not enjoyed him in anything. I liked him in the Wonder Woman trailer, and I liked him in the first in the first uh, watch, uh, Star Trek movie. We should actually give our full rankings because I think it'll be more interesting because we really disagree on this. But I think yeah. we need to give our full rankings before we discuss. Okay, okay so, so your number four down. is Pine. Okay, I'm gonna go top down from there. My number one is Chris Evans. My number two is Chris Hemsworth. My number three, with like very far behind, is Chris Pratt, and my number in a close number four is Chris Pine. Okay, and our rankings, like, literally are its insane how opposite they are. <laughs> My number one permanent spot never to be dethroned, I would guess, is Chris Pratt. I'll get to why in a second. Number, and then numbers two, three, and four fluctuate all the time. I just saw Ghostbusters, so Chris Hemsworth is number two. Chris Pine mm-hmm. is currently number three. And actually... No, Chris Pine is number four. I'm changing it right now. Pine <laughs> is number four. Um, Chris Evans is so number three. So we agree three. on something. Okay. So we do we agree, agree, on, we agree on two things. We have Hemsworth yeah, two agree. and Pine four. <laughs> yeah, okay. But we but really, that, really disagree on I think that the data, the data underlying our rankings is probably, like, it's not coming from the same data set. We are considering probably significantly different factors uh, when considering our Chris's. 
I would, I would venture to guess. So, okay. I would actually probably move Evans up, like right after Captain America, Evans would probably be in the number two spot. I mm-hmm. really enjoy the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I like, I, Captain America is one of my favorite characters. I have recently taken on the mantle of Captain America needs a boyfriend and think that it's like a great thing that should happen in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Civil War. Um, but his whole dating Jenny Slate thing is like creeping me out a little bit. And See, I, I could don't not, love I could the not way that relationship less. is going on. Yeah. First, first off, I love Jenny Slate. So she, I do too. She, whoever she dates, um, would, is, is a better person in my opinion. But first, so here's, here's what underlies my, my rankings. Chris Evans starred in one of the, in one of my favorite funny movies from before I was actually old enough to watch good funny movies. Not another teen movie. I've never seen it. I've never so seen not another it. teen movie was incredible. So he, I'm going to go through some of his movies that he's been in that I really, really loved. Not another teen movie, perfect score, cellular, which, you know, I, I have to account for when I reach the pearly gates. Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer. Um, you like them? Sunshine. I love wait, wait, wait. Did you just Sunshine. admit you like Fantastic Four movies? Yes. Sunshine, The Losers, Alex, Scott Pilgrim, Captain America, The Avengers, like Snowpiercer. He's been in more movies per, per, Captain, per Chris Capita that I like than anyone else, and it's not even close. Uh, then you've got Hemsworth, who, so I, after Evans, it becomes a not so and so thing. So at that point, it might be helpful to go from the bottom. Chris Pine has been in almost nothing that I enjoy. I think I might like him more after Wonder Woman. He did okay in Star Trek Beyond. He seems like a perfectly nice guy, but his face makes me angry. Um, Chris Pratt sometimes strikes me as too cute by half. Um, I haven't liked a lot of things he's been in. Like, he's, he's like, he, he's, I can't tell, is he trying to be a comedy guy or is he trying to be like an action star or is he trying to be like a dramatic guy? He starts his career. He starts. He gets into the into the public consciousness with um, Parks and Rec, playing like his goofy whatever. No, whatever. uh-uh. You're missing Everwood. He was like the heartthrob older brother on Everwood. I don't even know what Everwood is. Okay. Is that like some like CW or Warner Brothers? Thing? Yep. Yep. <laughs> no idea what it is. But so he entered my consciousness with Parks and Rec, which I did not particularly enjoy. Um, then he was in, like, a bunch of random stuff, like Jennifer's Body, Take Me Home Tonight. Then there's Moneyball. Moneyball's where Chris Pratt's like, hey, I'm also a serious actor. And I watch it, and, like, I forgot. I for, there were periods of time where I forgot he was in the movie. He just, I mean, compared to Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt, the guy's meaningless. Um, he was in What's Your Number, which I think is one of the most offensive movies I've ever seen in my life, uh, which might be a little sad because I think Chris, I think Chris, um, Evans is in that movie too, but I don't hold that against him for, I don't know why. I, I'm pretend I made up a good justification, but I don't hold that up, hold that against Chris Evans. Um, Zero Dark Thirty, another great performance. Um, but he was only in the movie for like a hot second. Lego movie, great. Guardians of the Galaxy, excellent. Jurassic World, whatever. I just don't like him. Um, Magnificent Seven might be a great movie. 
He's, 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 he's in roles that I like, but I don't like him specifically. I don't know why. I can't justify it. And then Chris Hemsworth gets, like, the huge Marvel main character bump. And he also crushed it in Ghostbusters, so he's my number two by default. But Chris, it's basically like Chris Evans and everybody else. So this really highlights the difference in what you and I care about because for me, him having been Andy Dwyer in Parks and Recreation is what solidifies this. The fact that none of the rest of them have, the, like, television roles, there's something about being on TV on a show that I like and I love, which is also a line from Parks and Rec, by the way, that's really funny that I just said that by accident, that mm-hmm. makes, that endears someone to me forever. He was a part of my Parks and Rec family. And so all of these other people, even Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth, who are part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is something I like and I like coming back to, don't have that place in my heart the same way that Chris Pratt does because it's not a weekly thing. It's not something that I've gone back on Netflix and rewatched over and over again. I mean, I've gone to Parks and Rec trivia. So, like, Parks is really, like, number one in my heart when it comes to comedies the way West Wing is number one in my heart when it comes to life. Um, And so because of that, no matter what he does on film, I like Guardians of the Galaxy, even though I love probably the Captain America movies a lot more. Um, And I actually don't like Thor. Hemsworth actually is high in my rankings because I thought he was fantastic in Ghostbusters as the, like, as a comic relief from the comic, whatever he was. But that's why he's higher in my ranking right now. But the really, what does it is, is the television for me. And whereas for you, it's all of these movies that you've loved and that just speaks to our priorities. Mine is television. Yours is film. Yeah, my, my priorities are good, and yours are questionable. It makes total sense. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that. Shots fired. That, <laughs> seriously, there's only one way to settle this. We Hawkins, Dawn. Guns. Drawn. Okay, so with that, friends, we will come back to this segment. We will probably come back to it after the next Chris Pratt movie and after the next Thor movie, um, and definitely after Wonder Woman comes out, see if Chris Pine can move up from the number four spot on both of us. Speaking of, did you see the uh, the like the what the Thor Ragnarok logo looks like? No, I'll Google it, it right looks, now. It looks like like a like a like a late eighties video game title logo. It is. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> That's it's wild. I don't know who came up with that, but it's either it's either genius or or crazy. I just haven't decided which one it is yet. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's time for our final verdict. And once again, if you want to hear more, us talk more about Chris's, because we certainly really like this conversation, listen to our uh, trailer talk segment this week. So, Alan, what is your final verdict this week? So speaking of 80s nostalgia, my final verdict this week is Stranger Things, uh, this incredible Netflix series that came out a while ago, but I only just got around to watching it. I was sitting at home at like 8.30 with nothing to do on like, I think it was Thursday. And 
I'm like, oh, I'll watch Stranger Things. I watched all eight episodes just in one sitting, which was a and bad idea. Because I was alone in my apartment. It was dark outside. I finished watching it at like three in the morning, and I literally could not sleep. It was it, it was like to the point where I had to come back and watch an episode of The West Wing just to put myself in a situation where I could be like, okay, I can go to sleep. I had a few laughs, See? watched a little bit of drama. I can sleep now. Yeah, no, so that's what motion, The West Wing is for. Motion granted on Stranger Things. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Like, put it in your Netflix queue. Figure it out because it's it's really really good. I'm not. I don't think it needs a second season. I think it would work better as like an anthology thing. But Netflix and the creators seem committed to having a second season focusing on the same characters. I will see how it turns out. I, there's definite places for the story to go, but I personally think that Stranger Things would work best as an anthology show. So I have not watched it yet. It is definitely on my list of things to watch. I am. Slowly but surely catching up on television now that I'm done with my exam. Um, but I will, I will get to it. Everyone says I have to. Everyone says it's wonderful. So also, Alan, I just realized something. We call this segment what? final verdict, but we grant motion. Yeah. If we're not really don't, making final. Don't, don't think about <laughs> don't it. Don't think too hard. much about it. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, we're we're gonna we're gonna get, we're, this is like the this is like the law and order kind of amount of legal realism. We're just like if you don't think about it, it, it makes sense. Um, but if you think about it too hard, it all falls apart. Okay, sounds good. So, I, my final verdict this week is on another short run play that was done at. New York City Center. I've talked about a couple of these before. They do these very, they five performances as part of their encore series of old plays that either, that they just can't, that like a full Broadway run wouldn't be worth it, but are worth performing. And the one they did, it could not be a weirder mix of things. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who are the composers who did Little Mermaid and Aladdin and a, and a couple of other things for Disney. They did Little Shop of Horrors. Before they did any of that, they took a Kurt Vonnegut book called God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater and turned it into a musical. It closed very quickly. It was only ever done off Broadway. It was clearly so ahead of its time and so quirky. I mean, Vonnegut it's, himself is just so out there and different. I love Vonnegut. Cat's Cradle is one of my favorite books. I had never read this book, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. The, the main plot of it is there's this wealthy family. Uh, dad's a senator. Son runs the foundation. and He's kind of kooky. And this lawyer who works for the firm that helps manage the foundation figures out that there's a clause in the foundation, in the uh, drafting documents, that says if you can declare the current president, the only way to get the the trust, uh, the, the control of the foundation out of the hands of one of the family members is to declare them insane, and then it goes to the next nearest family member. And so he goes on this quest to declare him insane. It's a strange plot. It was one of the most wonderful experiences at the theater I've ever had. I had no real expectations going into it, and it was so good. It was Santino Fontana, who I'm so obsessed with, who is in 
uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He was in the last City Center performance I saw of 1776. And he he plays the lead character, Elliot Rosewater, and he gave he gave what would be a Tony-winning performance if he had done enough of them to win a Tony for it. He was so good in this lead character. Skylar Astin played the lawyer. James Earl Jones was in it in a small role that was incredible. Uh, and I'm going to try to post some links to some of the preview clips that are out there uh, that the City Center released from this because if you get a chance, read the book. If you get an a, even rarer chance to find some of the music for this, do. This was like one of those gems of theater experiences that I will never forget. Motion completely granted. Well, I think that's all we have for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for listening to us. We are so excited to have your support. You can catch us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher under Pop Culture Verdict and on Twitter at Culture Verdict. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. And until next time, we're adjourned.